Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. This episode is a continuation of the last lecture in my apologetics class called Why Does God Allow Suffering? Here we review some of the thoughts from that lecture as well as talk about our own personal experiences with suffering and pain and loss. And we look to the Bible for help in facing pain and suffering and especially consider Jesus as well as the Apostle Paul. And it turns out that God did not spare either of them from adversity. In fact, Jesus came into this world as a hunted refugee, faced conflict and opposition his entire ministry, and then in the end, the Romans tortured and executed him. Similarly, Paul endured rejection, whippings, beatings, shipwreck, and martyrdom. We can learn from these examples about how to deal with difficulty in our own lives. Also, we discuss the prosperity gospel, and we play a clip from John Piper, who puts his finger on why such a theology is so dangerous, especially in times of suffering. Lastly, we draw inspiration from the words of the prophet Habakkuk, who cried out to God to do something to deal with the rampant injustice of his own day. If you haven't already, I encourage you to first listen to podcast episode 62, Why Does God Allow Suffering, before you play this episode. But even without it, this should make sense just fine. Here now is Offscript episode 19, more on why God allows suffering. Welcome to Offscript, everyone. We're so glad you're here. Today, we're going to talk about the problem of evil. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you keep that. (laughs) You have to. And then like have lightning bolts in the background. (laughs) (laughs) The problem of evil is the issue raised against Christianity that there can't be a good all-good, all-powerful God if evil exists in this world. If God is good, then he doesn't want there to be evil. If God is powerful, then he can stop evil. So if he's all-loving or all-anti-evil, then and all-powerful, then there shouldn't be any evil, but yet our world is full of evil. So how, as Christians, can we explain that when we come across this, first of all? And then also... What do we do with our own hearts when we do face suffering, when we do face pain, when we walk alongside others who are going through really challenging and seemingly times of pointless suffering, you know, where it's not necessarily bringing about a good in their life, but they're just really struggling? What do we say to our own hearts? What do we say to others when we face these times? So that's the topic for conversation today. So what are your thoughts on this issue, and how do you settle it in your own heart? For me, I think the personal suffering question that's addressed in several areas in the Bible, and one of them is in um, James 1-2, which says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I think without suffering and without trials... There wouldn't be a personal experience 
foundation for your faith. You wouldn't have the times where your faith has seen you through difficult circumstances. And just like it says in James, when you trust in God and you rely on God to get you through a circumstance and you come out the other side and you look back and you see where God really had your back, I mean, that deepens your faith and makes you stronger. So without personal suffering, without those trials and without relying on God, faith wouldn't be as rich. So these struggles are crucial, I think, to building your faith and to maintaining it and and getting stronger. Um, I agree with Dan's take about personal transformation um, through suffering. And it's very rarely anything I would go into easily, joyfully. But through surrendering to God and having been through difficult times with God in the past and having, having surrendered before, eventually you get a precedent for yourself where you know that God is faithful and you have seen his transformation and you have seen that God breaks to bind up. Maybe the first few times in your life when you launch out in suffering on faith can be the most difficult because I do think once you have that precedence and once you know um, how God has seen you through and, and God lets you get hurt sometimes, not to say that doesn't happen, but once you see his faithfulness and once you see his working in your life, I think it gives you greater faith to navigate rough seas ahead. Can you think of a specific time that you would be comfortable sharing? God like messes up my life fairly often and not even in an, <laughs> quite not even in enormous ways but I am quite the control freak and that my biggest struggle is anything being out of control and so it doesn't take a lot for God to totally topple my world and this has happened in my education in my finances in my career in my health um, in relationships like God takes something that I like to think that I'm controlling and God will topple it and they don't all happen at once. They have always happened one at a time. But that it is maybe one of the worst feelings for me to be in a sort of free fall where I'm out of control. But the more I have been there, the more confident I am in God's ability to handle it and even knowing um, that I will be positively transformed through it. You remind me of uh, an incident that happened to me, and it was a very minor incident. It was an injury I sustained while playing ultimate frisbee on, uh, I guess it was like a field that didn't have much grass and it was over in Troy and I was playing with it was just a huge group of people there there were plenty there were enough for two or three games and I was kind of new to the sport and I really had felt like I had something to prove and somebody tossed a disc and I ran and the only way to catch it was to slide almost like a baseball slide and this uh what's this part here like calf the, yeah the outside calf of one of my legs just rubbed the skin off mm-hmm. while, hamburger uh, leg hamburger oh. leg okay that's the technical <clears throat> term for it it hurts <laughs> yeah and so I, I stood up and it wasn't really bleeding but there was some skin missing and i caught i caught it and then i threw it and then the focus went to whoever the next person was and after we scored i i felt like i had to leave the game because it was just like pretty searing pain I'm really good with pain, like sharp pain. I'm fine, but it wasn't going away. Mm. And I was like, okay. It's concerning. Yeah, so maybe I should just take a break and take a look at this. And I ended up going home, and the pain didn't go away. It, you know, I've gotten cuts. I've, I've broken bones. I've, I've been injured many times, actually, as my <laughs> wife. It's never been where it was just constant. And it was constant pain hour after hour, minute after minute, second after second for 
the whole rest of that day, all night long, and uh, into the next day. It was basically 24 hours of just constant pain. And just on my leg. I mean, it's not this huge, it's not like I'm, my body's on fire, but just like that one spot. And, and it was just driving me crazy. Mm. I was just like, what do I do? And then at some point, thank God for how we designed our bodies to heal, it just stopped. Mm. And it didn't diminish, it just stopped altogether. Like, unless I touch it. But I was thinking about, in light of this, uh, a fellow believer named Bud who um who suffered with chronic pain and uh bud died a couple of years ago right or last year was it yeah last year bud January. died mm-hmm. yeah he died last year and uh he was a, a big part of our church here at living hope and he had gotten in some sort of a forklift accident and had messed up his back and so he had constant chronic pain in his back for years and it's just like after going through that 24-hour period where my leg felt like it was on fire i was just so much more impressed by people that do struggle with chronic and he was not the only person i've met like this who has to deal with pain management on a severe scale every day and there's just as it is right now medically speaking there's just no way out of that and bud was not a practicing christian and he was dealing with this pain and and i think he was a using a lot of um, pain medication, which is, of course, highly addictive, and alcohol as well to basically treat his suffering. And when he came to Christ, his life really changed in radical ways. And I was very happy to, to see that happen. I was really blessed to see that happen. And throughout the course that, that he walked with the Lord, he, he developed new ways and strategies of dealing with his pain. And Towards the end of his life, he was able to get off his pain medications. And that was something that was very, very difficult because these are narcotics. I mean, Mm. the withdrawal is insanely painful. So, but he was, he was able to eventually get off them completely and off alcohol and everything else. And the pain never got worse or better. It was just always there. So far as I understand it, and so if you if you're on the pain medication, eventually your body adjusts to it, and then it takes more and more and more, and then you're like your your head is cloudy and you you can't have a complete thought. Then if you get off it, at first it, the pain is unbearable, but then it adjusts your body adjusts to not having it, and so that's basically what he did. And he he served God with all his heart. He reached out to others. He was very involved with the church, with his family, uh, with his granddaughters, and in the community. I feel like he's really an example of somebody who has to go has for whatever reason a lot in life of going through this kind of physical pain day in and day out, and it did not destroy him. It was something that God helped him to live with. And I'm sure that Bud would have liked to have been healed of that. Mm. And he will be healed of that on the day of the resurrection. But that was his cross to bear. There are people like this that in the world that suffer with chronic pain. And especially if you're a Christian, the, the, the question is, well, why doesn't God take this away? Why doesn't he answer my prayer? Why do other people have no pain 
on a daily basis, and I have all this pain. The Apostle Paul had this mysterious thing that he referred to as the thorn in the flesh, and a lot of people have different theories and debate about what that might have been. But it was some sort of weakness, and it was some sort of, of difficulty that he had um, in living his life, and it may have been very similar to what Bud was experiencing. But his take on it was one of surrender, and he says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Being weak like that is an open... I know. It's so humble. He's being very transparent in 2 Corinthians with the church there. Um, But he knows this is the opportunity for Christ's strength to show in his weaknesses, for him to be a true vessel. Yeah. I mean, we think about somebody like the Apostle Paul as a superstar in Christianity. He's the kind of guy who came into a town and would lay his hands on sick people, or what was that person? He healed somebody, and then they started calling him a god, him and Barnabas. Oh, yeah. Lystra. Probably. Lystra. Yeah, I think Lystra. And, you know, he, he's one of these guys that can, you see him throughout Scripture, he's, he can lay hands on somebody, he heals them, and he preaches, and people convert, I mean, he's just seen so much. He mm. saw Jesus. Mm. <laughs> you know, how many how many people has Jesus directly confronted or, and tried to convert like he did with the Apostle Paul? I mean, what an incredible man. And yet, he had this chronic issue. And people debate over exactly what it was. I lean towards some sort of physical ailment. And whether it was that or it was something else, the fact is he had to deal with it on a regular basis, and he had to pray and pray and pray, and the answer came back, no. Mm. And did the Apostle Paul say, oh, I can't, I just can't fathom there being a good God who's powerful if my prayers are answered no? No, he didn't do that at all. He didn't do that. And what did the Lord say to him? He said, just like Rose read there, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, he said he's content. I'd like to play a little audio clip from John Piper. Would that be okay with you guys? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, by all means. Cue him it, up. It's a really interesting take on the prosperity gospel. And I feel like John Piper does such a good job with this whole idea of finding your satisfaction in God Mm, in the midst of suffering in particular. And so here is that clip. I don't know what you feel about the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but I'll tell you what I feel about it. Hatred. It is not the gospel. And it's being exported from this country to Africa and Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of the poor. Believe this message, your pigs won't die, your wife won't have miscarriages, you have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. That's coming out of America. The people that ought to be giving our money and our time and our lives, instead selling them a bunch of crap called gospel. And here's the reason it is so horrible. When was the last time that any American, African, Asian ever said, Jesus is all satisfying because you drove a BMW? Never. 
they'll say, Jesus did do that? Yeah, well, I'll take Jesus. That's idolatry. That's not the gospel. That's elevating gifts above giver. I'll tell you what makes Jesus look beautiful is when you smash your car and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and lands like dead on the street. And you say, through the deepest possible pain, God is enough. God is enough. He is good. He will take care of us. He will satisfy us. He will get us through this. He is our treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you and on earth? There's nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, my little girl may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That makes God look As God, not as giver of cars or safety or health. Oh, how I pray that America would be purged of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel and that the Christian church would be marked by suffering for Christ. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him in the midst of loss, not prosperity. I've heard the sermon that that comes from, and he actually tells a story, a good friend of his, and they were overseas. I think it was some sort of missions trip, and a good friend of, of his who was with him on the trip got a call and the call was that his son had died oh, and his wow. son was in his early to mid twenties. And he was, he was a Christian. He was, he was also, he was in some other country going to school, but he was also like very involved in the ministry where he was. And he tells the, the story of how his, how his friend reacted to that news. And it was just like that. It was what he said that God is enough. Really powerful. If you can find it. Yeah. I'm not a fan of like, huge soaring inspirational music behind i think it's like <laughs> manufacturing so my advice is to find a uh, a version of that that doesn't have the soaring inspirational music behind it because put salt and pepper on it yeah 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 i'll see if i can try to find that and if okay. not if then not, i will leave this in okay so that your my objection is noted your objection is noted thank you <clears throat> what i so appreciate about piper's perspective is that he puts his finger on what really should be driving us, which is not our own comfort or success or fame, but how well we can glorify God with our lives. It's like the old composer who wrote Soli Deo Gloria in all his songs. Glory to God alone. That's really what our lives are about. If we're still living for ourselves as Christians, we've missed something. Because if you want to live for yourself, then go buy a self-help book. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is all about who God is, what's his story, and how can I plug into that in my own life today. And it's a little paradoxical, but the truth is, if I make my life about God, then God will take care of me. Mm. And that's just the basis of all the trust that I, that I can have. And if I'm going through suffering and I have a prosperity gospel mentality framework, then what I'm going to do is turn on God when I need him most. Mm. 
If my friend is going through suffering and they say, well, what do I want to believe in God for? I prayed and he didn't take this away. There's a fundamental flaw in that way of thinking about God. God is not Santa Claus. You don't sit on his lap and tell him what you want for Christmas. He's not an ATM. You don't punch in a code in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, and outspits the money. Yeah. That's not who God is. God is the most powerful being in all the universe. You have no ground to stand on to argue him down or to coerce him or to tell him what to do. We just don't. And if you look at Paul, I mean, who outside of Jesus was probably God's biggest instrument in the early, early church, Paul led a really hard life. Uh, he says in 2 Corinthians, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen. I mean, he goes on and on about how you know, suffering he's endured, and it, it would be hard to argue that Paul isn't one of the all-stars that was closest to God. And then he says in Philippians 4, 11-13, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Mm. Isn't it so ironic that that's the precise verse people use to endorse the prosperity mindset? Like, mm -hmm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens yeah. me. What you just did there is you contextualize that statement within him going through suffering. He's, he's in prison. He's probably cold, probably he's died sick. Before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got all the wounds and scars all over his body. And he's like, no, through Christ, I can, I can do this. I can do this. That suffering that he goes through, it does not destroy him. It does not diminish his faith. It does not harden his heart. What it does is it drives him to God. It drives him to a closer relationship with God's Son, who also suffered, who also can understand what Paul is going through. There is something really powerful about being a person of faith and going through suffering from the perspective of James, that it's going to build endurance in us, that it's going to build character in us, that it's going to build a witness in us where outsiders can see how we react to incredible loss, grief, suffering, pain, misfortune, and that it doesn't destroy us, and that it, we can bring glory to God that way. I think it's really powerful. Like Piper mentioned, um, this idea of this prosperity gospel being so American and then exporting it to the rest of the world, it's amazing how we came to be in that position 2,000 years later. You talk about the suffering that Paul went through early in the church. There was so much suffering uh, in the early centuries of Christianity, and even, even back to the cross, all the way back to the cross, Christianity has been so hallmarked uh, with suffering. Uh, I'm just going to read a few verses from 1 Peter 4. By coming on board as a Christian, it was it was the idea that you had the willingness to share in Christ's sufferings. Peter says, Beloved, but do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Mm -hmm. Peter spent a lot of time with James, and they both talked about rejoicing um, and the, the works that tribulations can do in you. They were so focused on suffering and suffering well, following the example of Christ and now sharing in his sufferings. That is an incredible mindset. And like Piper said, it's not having the BMW that's beautiful. It's glorifying God in your pain. That is beautiful.
in studying this subject of why God allows suffering, I've seen throughout Scripture six reasons why He allows it. Now, there are probably more than six, but these are the ones that I am aware of at this time. And I want to share these with you for two reasons. One is so that you would be equipped to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And also, so that you can work through in your own heart when you go through suffering and and have some options to think with. So the, the first one is the fall. And I, I think we can, from a biblical point of view, pin a lot on the fall because God made the original world to be good. It says good over and over again in Genesis chapter 1, seven times in fact, and that this world fell as a result of our rebellion, our disobedience, and that that is going to be changed one day when Jesus comes back and establishes the kingdom. And then, so a lot of the evil in the world is is there because just the way God set up the original conditions of the universe, and humanity fell, and so there were curses, and the man has a curse, the woman has a curse, the serpent has a curse, as part of the man's curse, the ground is cursed. And so our whole creation itself is in a fallen state. And so we should expect some bad things to happen. Even mm-hmm. if God's not causing them to happen, we should just see them happening. Number one really is the foundational reason. The other ones are um, almost like subpoints or results of number one. Yeah. But the fall is what really, what really started it in motion. The second one is that there is a devil, a malicious, malignant, evil spirit being with demons, and they are running around like a roaring lion seeking whom they may devour. And you really see this emphasized in Ephesians 6 when the Apostle Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of this darkness, something like that. And it's this idea that we are wrestling. There are humans, obviously, that are involved in the situation, but there are spirits behind the scenes pulling the strings. Mm. And that is really where the focus needs to be rather than thinking your coworker is just annoying. I mean, yeah, maybe they are annoying, but <laughs> there, there could be some sort of spiritual component going on here, and we shouldn't neglect that. And I feel like as 21st century Americans living in a post-everything age, one of the things we're post is superstition. And we don't want to, we always want to look for a natural or physical cause for everything. And I don't think that's always helpful. <laughs> so I, th- I think we want to be open to this, this spiritual aspect of this situation. That annoying coworker thing, Sean, reminds me of uh, the section of screw tape. And basically, screw tape is a demon writing a letter to another demon, right? Coaching him, like it's a master demon coaching a uh, maybe like apprentice demon on how to really turn away this guy called the patient um, from following God and infuse evil and sin into his life. And so many of the ways in which they do this is not any sort of really uh, demonic, dark, epic kind of way, but they try to get him through, through they try to get him through the minutia and, uh, and the annoyingness of everyday life. And I'm just going to read an excerpt of, uh, of a letter where he talks about using basically his annoying mother to like cripple his Christianity. 
When two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice and expressions of face which are almost unendurably irritating to the other. Work on that. Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular lift of his mother's eyebrows, which he learned to dislike in the nursery, and let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does it to annoy. If you know your job, he will not notice the immense improbability of the assumption. And, of course, never let him suspect that he has tones and looks which similarly annoy her. As he cannot see or hear himself, this is easily managed. It's just so intriguing how C.S. Lewis here writes about these really small ways that demons could possibly be pulling the strings. Yeah. Ex- excellent accent, too. Yeah, that oh, was... Oh, I thank was, you. That was good. It is proper to use a British accent when reading C.S. Lewis. In fact, I think that's a, a law in the United Kingdom, mm. even if you're not British. <laughs> All right, on to number three, reason why God allows suffering, God's judgments. The f- simple fact is that God does bring judgments to bear on individuals and groups of people when, or as a result of sin. And this is kind of interesting. I remember talking to my dad about this, that in certain other countries like India, for example, if you have a cold uh, or a sickness, the instinct is to assume there's a spiritual cause behind it mm. or that there's something you did, you know, because they have this really strong belief in karma. It's like Job. Mm-hmm. Right, or Job. <clears throat> but with us, it's always germs yeah, or mm-hmm. an immune system deficiency, right? Some sort of combination mm-hmm. of... You know, I, I stayed up too late and, you know, my immune system was weak, so then I got this cold. Or you use the same doorknob as somebody else who was, you know, those are all our ways of thinking or about it. Or you hang around little kids. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, automatically yeah. get sick. Yeah, but, yeah, but I know all about that. So what if it is a judgment of God? Maybe, maybe it isn't. Maybe it is. But at least this is something we can do mm. through suffering and say, look, consider my life for a moment and consider where I'm at spiritually with God and how I'm doing with holy living. <laughs> yeah. And if, if I'm off base somewhere, I want to repent of that because the last thing in the world I want is to be suffering because of some self-inflicted behavior where God's trying to give me a wake-up call. You read this in Amos where God says, I, I try to reach you people. I had a rain in one city and then no rain in the city right next to it and nobody noticed there's a sense where god's trying to get in touch with his people through these various judgments and they're just hardened to it so i don't want to be hardened to that i want to be sensitive to the spirit and even if you're not suffering it's those kinds of checkups are part of your walk getting quiet and taking stock amos four is god being sad and is god kind of telling a sad monologue like unfaithful Israel has so severely broken his heart once again and he's talking about all the things he has tried to do to get Israel's attention and it's almost resorting to causing them pain Uh, like Sean mentioned um, giving drought and things like that there's many things God did Um, he withheld the rain struck them with blight and mildew sent hunger sent pestilence overthrew some of you um, but at the end, he says, still, did, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. It's that almost he does these things um, as a last resort to try to get the attention um, and the repentance of his people. And that's suffering right there. It sure is. 
So there is a little dissonance there, but if you look at the motivation of God, there's going to be much worse suffering mm -hmm. if they don't change their ways. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also justice. I mean, when sin happens, he's the one that always sees all of it. And he is in charge of the Cosmic Justice Department, so he can wield that responsibility as he sees fit. I don't think we have a leg to stand on when it comes to raising our, our fist at God and saying, how dare you punish me for my sins? Like, uh, yeah. with our first sin, we deserve death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And then you add to that how Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like, we're all on borrowed time here. Yeah. And we should just kind of adjust our thinking to be very thankful people and really sing about God's amazing grace because every breath we take is grace. Okay, so then reason number four that I have is that God uses suffering for good. And we've already kind of talked about that, but that's the classic Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And I don't think this is saying necessarily that God causes everything bad to happen, but that God can work all bad things for good, obviously, unless you're dead. Even then, he does have that resurrection capability yeah. to even work that for good. So, And the idea that certain forms of good can't exist without certain forms of evil. Yes, yes, that is an excellent point. It's, uh, the point Matt Elton made the other day there, that... The good of forgiveness can't exist unless someone did something wrong that they need to be forgiven of. The right. goodness of compassion can't exist unless someone else is in pain yeah. and you empathize and then actually do something to try to help that person. Or the good of... What was the other one he used? Courage. Of Yeah, the, mm. the good of courage doesn't, can't exist unless there is some obstacle, some impediment that you're pushing through or some fear that you're pushing through. So, yeah, I mean, God, I think we have to trust that God knows how he made the universe and how he's running it, and he has a plan, and it's going to work out, and he's a lot smarter than we are, even a committee of us three combined. <laughs> uh, so we need to trust that, I think. And then number f five is that sometimes God allows suffering because of our lack of faith. And I see that in examples with Jesus healing people where he says that he couldn't heal them because of their lack of faith, like when he went to his hometown, for example. Or I was thinking of the guy who was at the gate of the temple, and he was always asking for alms. And I'm not entirely sure. I mean, Jesus could have passed him. Other people could have passed him. But it was... It was that one day when Peter and John passed him, and he didn't ask for any healing. He just asked for money. And for whatever reason, that was the moment. And, he, and they looked at him, and they said, we don't have any of that, but what we have we're giving to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. And, and, he, and that suffering ended instantaneously in that moment. And that was activated by that man's faith. If he looked at Peter and John and said, look, I might have a tough life, I might be a beggar. I might not have working legs, but at least I'm not crazy like you guys. <laughs> yeah. He could have easily just scoffed at them, and that would be the end of it. But he chose to try to stand, and that was their command. In the name of Jesus, now stand up and walk. 
in the moment of the standing, which obviously if you're lame, you can't stand, in the moment of that trying to stand, that's what faith is. Mm -hmm. And it activates this moment where God heals him. I think one of the best examples of, of this idea is the hem of the garment in Matthew 9, where the woman, she didn't even talk to him. She just had so much faith that she touched him That's just so in, crazy. A, in the middle of a crowd. And Jesus immediately knew power had gone out of me. And that was that woman's faith. And Jesus wasn't even necessarily activated in sort of like the healing mode. He wasn't, he was walking through a crowd, according to the record. Right. And it was that woman's faith. And obviously, God's power through Jesus, but she was healed just by that. Yeah. But now on the flip side, if she had said to herself, well, let me go check out the rabbi or the prophet, the healer, whatever, Mm -hmm. and see what he's like and listen to him. And just, she had like a skeptical, cynical attitude, then she would still have that bleeding problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she acted in faith and that enabled God to heal her. I mean, I think God could heal Anyhow, but it activated it somehow so that now she did not have to suffer in this way anymore. So I think we do need to be careful about our faith and, bu- and take time to build our faith, to uh, expose ourselves to stories of other Christians and folks who have experienced God's power in their lives, and to read the Bible and read these accounts of what God's already done in the past. If you're going to take on critiques against Christianity or engage with atheists or watch debates. I think you have to balance it in, in your own life so that your faith doesn't dissipate on you. I think you have to steward your faith over time. You look at Abraham and the example of how many years it took him to get to the place where he finally believed, and then he could have Isaac, and Sarah could have Isaac, you know? Last of all, we have reason number six, which is time and chance. And this I get from Ecclesiastes nine eleven where it's like 911, September 11th, right? Uh, where it says, Again, I saw under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all, or time and chance overtake them all. There is an aspect of how creation works. There, there are random events that happen. There are incidents where... You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, where you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or children that die at birth. I mean, how do you explain that? To Ecclesiastes' point, I think that's what you would. That's what you would say. Right. I mean, I, I, I would be very uncomfortable to say, God's trying to teach the parents a lesson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would be very uncomfortable to say, or I think it's illogical to say, that he's teaching the child a lesson who died because there's no lesson to be gained there either. So, yeah, I would say it more falls under this time and chance or just a result of the fall. Mm. That there is, specifically on that one, there is a pain of childbirth as part of the curse, we know, and that that process is inherently very risky throughout the centuries. You know, uh, infant mortality is a major problem, and, and giving birth is one of the most dangerous things a woman can do. Yeah. I don't believe God originally set it up that way. That's a consequence of our initial rebellion and disobedience. And you have that less and less today, but it is still... It's still, a, a, still tragic when it happens. Mm-hmm. And it's still... I mean, I think the U.S., for a variety of reasons, has one of the highest infant childbirth, yeah, infant mortality rates. 
So we've listed a bunch of reasons, and I think it is probably a pretty comprehensive list of reasons that suffering, well, Sean's not sure about that, but I think it's pretty good um, of reasons that suffering occurs. Obviously, all of them come out of out of the fall and the, um, the brokenness in our world. I think we should be careful when going through suffering or when speaking with someone who's going through suffering. We should be careful um, about being too quick to label our, our reason for a particular suffering as, you know, number three, number four. Mm. It can be evident sometimes, and I feel like it's been evident in my life looking back on some things, uh, what God was doing when I do see like a Romans 828 case in my life. But I have known many people who are very introspective, uh, which is a good thing, but really try to um, like psychoanalyze God and exactly what he's doing with them in that moment. I think hindsight can be 2020 a lot of times in this case, but I would be careful against um, trying to focus too much on exactly what God is trying to do with your life. Um, Believe that if he is uh, dealing with you properly, that he is all wise and he knows what he's doing, that his hands are the most skilled. But in, in a case of suffering, um, I would seek to, to work on your relationship with him, to be transformed as you need to through that fiery trial. Later on, he might show you the why, but um, in the meantime, it's, it's time to focus internally on what you need to do and how best to strengthen your relationship with him and to be Christ-like as a result. I totally agree. I, and that, that's kind of the hesitation of sharing this list. It's like, I don't, I don't want people to then feel like they should always understand it. Because in, mm. in all honesty, most of us don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. and um, Or even good things that God does until way later. And you're looking back, and, you, and then you see it. And I've definitely been in this situation. I just use a kind of a trite example. When I was buying my first house, I was living so with So trite. My, <laughs> My wife and I were living with my parents, and it was it was very difficult, you know, because I'd gone away, and we had been married for a couple of years, and then to go back and live with mommy and daddy is a difficult time, especially when you have a wife. And so we were looking for houses, and it took us about a year where we were looking for houses, looking for houses, getting all these MLS emails from the realtor, and praying constantly and it was really a trial because we're just like god just please show us a house and you know you every time you go see a house your heart's all in it and you're like oh maybe this will be the one and then it and then it's not or the price is weird is is wrong or there's some weird room where weird layout where your bedroom would have to be the living room or something and you're just like ah i really want to move out but Am I forcing it? <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to force it because buying a house is quite a commitment. It's like a 30-year mortgage. So, and I remember how Ruth and I struggled with that and how hard that was because we're like, we're, we're trying to be faithful, we're trying to pray, or we are praying, and we are seeking God's guidance here, and nothing's happening nothing, month after month after month. And then when the house that we ended up buying finally did come up on the market— it was on the market like one day when we bought it because we had been looking and looking and looking. We knew exactly what we could afford, what we were looking for. We were looking for a two-family house at the time because we wanted to be able to rent out half of it and make it more affordable that way. And this house just, just came on, and it was just what we wanted, and we offered below what they were asking, and they accepted it immediately. And it was just so clear that this was the one mm. And I came to this realization, like, why did I have to wait all this time? The house was not ready yet. Do you know what the 
owner was doing the whole eight months, 10 months, whatever it was, while I was praying and, and, and asking God for help, he was fixing up the house I was going to be living in. Yeah. He was painting it. He was putting in a new this and a new that. He was working on the house so that when I actually bought it, it had all this... But all, you didn't know that. All these benefits, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know that. I was just like... God knew, uh, God you know, knew it. We're so self-focused, we don't... Uh. We don't see the big picture, and you know God has a different perspective than we do. It's important to stay humble in that sense. I mean, it's important to stay humble in general, but certainly when you're going through these trials, just understanding and really internalizing the fact that you do not know everything. You don't know half of it. You don't know a quarter of it in most cases, you know, <laughs> and there are things going on behind the scenes in other people's lives, and you're, you're a self-contained human with with a brain and you only have a pinhole of information in most situations in life. And you really have to understand that and be okay with that and trust God. It's hard. We think we're so smart. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. We think, Oh, I have it all figured out. I know how the world works. I know how God works. Come on. Yeah. That is such a, like even just saying it just sounds so dumb. Yeah. But yet that's the way that we think in our minds. Mm -hmm. That's That's, how we talk to ourselves. (laughs) So as far as the solution to the problem of evil, I feel like Christianity offers one of the most... No, let me rephrase. I feel like Christianity offers the most satisfying mm-hmm. answer to the question, why does God allow suffering? And that is that, well, there are these six different possibilities. We're not really sure which. It might be another one that I haven't listed here. But in the end, God's going to make everything wrong with the world right. He's going to heal this old world, rejuvenate it, restore it back to its original glory and functionality so that there will be no more death, no more sickness, no more pain and suffering and injustice. He's going to eliminate those. He's going to eliminate it through the reign of his son on this earth. And then after a period of a thousand years, then it says that he's going to come and dwell among us. We're going to see his face and that our tears are going to be wiped away. So there is this very satisfying aspect to Christianity that Although we don't have all the answers right here and now, we do have a clear vision of the future where God is planning to make it all make sense and to make it all right. Yeah, it's justice delayed. It's not justice denied. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons for the delay is, is God wants more children. He wants us to spread the gospel. He wants a family that loves him. The more we can help in that objective is all to the good and and that's part of the reason why suffering and and, and pain exists. I wrestle with the problem of evil on an intellectual level, but also in my heart intellectually. And, you know, looking at scripture, these six um, reasons I, I find greatly satisfying, but somehow in my heart, the one thing that puts me to at peace is the cross and Christ's suffering. Um, I'm going to read a little from Isaiah 53. My heart, I mean, you can reason with me forever, but my heart is still on fire about suffering. Um, But when I read Isaiah 53, um, that's what my heart, it puts my heart at ease. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's much stronger than acquainted. He, He knew grief so intimately. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. There are many reasons that God may allow pain and suffering into our lives. But when we see that Christ has carried it all in order to heal our wounds, 
the crying of my heart is somehow put at rest. And when you see how God has has really wrestled uh, with pain and will bring uh, righteousness and will bring hope and will bring healing in the end, the strivings of my heart are put to rest. I really appreciate what you said, Rose, about the suffering of Christ. And it speaks volumes, the fact that God's way to solve the problems of the world happen through the suffering and pain of an innocent victim Mm -hmm. suffering injustice at the hands of violent people who misunderstand him Mm -hmm. jesus marches right into the fire yeah and so the the world is a bloody mess so it has a bloody solution to that mess i mean we should expect that the solution would be bloody as well and that's exactly what god did and god suffers through that i mean god's not a human so he's not going to suffer in the same way as us but at the same time, he also doesn't have eyelids, <laughs> and he can still hear well when he's far away. So God's suffering, if anything, I think is greater than ours, especially when we're talking about his only begotten son going through this and how difficult that must have been for father and son. I think about the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed three times. I mean, what God felt about that, how that affected him, you can definitely picture him suffering, listening to his only begotten son ask, hey, if this this cup can pass for me. And he didn't ask once, he didn't ask twice, he asked three times. And the answer was no. Yeah. Jesus got a no mm-hmm. three times. That's powerful. So I think there's a lot of encouragement and understanding there when we think about the cross and we think about the kingdom and how God's, gonna, God's going to fix everything. In the meanwhile, I, I find a lot of strength from Habakkuk. He was going through a time of great difficulty in his own life, we read in chapter 1, verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Basically, Habakkuk is complaining to God that, Injustice is rampant in the land, and this is such a mess. And God shares with him his plan to deal with the problem, which is to bring in another nation to conquer his nation and punish them that way. And Habakkuk is not happy at all with the answer (laughs) he receives because he just wants the bad people to suffer. But a, a lot of times the way things work out... That's not possible to to target. I mean, you think of even drone strikes. Oh, it's so accurate. It's it, but, but there's always still collateral damage. And you think right? of cancer treatment. Or cancer. Yeah, there's another example. And then in the end of the book, Habakkuk basically comes to a peace with the situation. And he's like, all right, calamity is coming as a punishment for the sins I was complaining about in these other people. And God's bringing it about, and it makes sense to him, and it's in his justice. And so I need to resign myself to what God is going to do. And we read in Habakkuk 3.16, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, so that's obviously a very negative response to the judgment (laughs) coming. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice 
in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And so Habakkuk gets to a place in his own heart where God is his strength. He can face it. It's going to be hard. He may die, but in the end, God will prevail. And if he's with God, he's going to be okay because death is not the end of the picture either. I mean, he's not necessarily bringing that up here, but we know from the rest of the scripture that resurrection is right around the corner, especially from the perspective of the one who dies. You know, you die, you're asleep, and then the next waking moment, you are in the resurrection. This is a huge topic, and uh, I think it's worth your consideration to delve into it. It's important for all of us not to let suffering take us out, but to almost take advantage of it or use it to bring us closer to God. Mm-hmm. It is an opportunity. Read Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we're all out of time for today, but I just want to recommend to you to read Psalm 37 because it deals with the issue of seeing the wicked prosper and being tempted to let that take you out and to quit on God or to quit on righteousness, both of which are the wrong perspective. And actually, Psalm 37 is the place where Jesus quoted from, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. And over and over it says, the wicked will be cut off from the earth, but the righteous or the meek, it says both ways, will inherit the land or inherit the earth. So there's a lot of encouragement throughout the scriptures on this subject. That's all we have time for today. Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, We really appreciate everybody that tunes in week after week and even the new people. Hope you come back. Uh, Definitely visit reststudio.org. Comment on the podcast if you have something to say. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, uh, feel free to share your thoughts, share your your personal stories, um, your own take on pain and your own perspectives. It is something that we will all wrestle with in our lives, but Thankfully, God has given us guidance and strength to endure. I wanted to say goodbye this week in Swahili. Kwaheri. Before wrapping up, I want to read out a comment by Miranda on Podcast 62, Why Does God Allow Suffering? She writes, How refreshing to hear you say you don't have the problem of evil totally figured out. Now we can relax and look into Holy Scripture and try and work out what we can know and take it from there, and continue learning about this most serious subject, which has caused so many to doubt the existence of a loving God. What we do know for sure is that pain and suffering is not okay. It's not okay with God or with Jesus Christ. The certainty for that is the ransom sacrifice. God allowed his only begotten son to suffer and die in our behalf, and this he did at great cost to himself. Jesus took up our pain and bore our suffering, Isaiah 53. When Adam and Eve listened to Satan and disobeyed God, it cost them and all their offspring dearly. Sin and death entered into the world. The land became cursed. They lost rulership of the land and their relationship with God. Satan was now able to exercise enormous influence over man in his world. 1 John 5.19 He is the God of this present evil age, 2 Corinthians 4.4. But thankfully, as one of our brothers put it, What God originally intended in the beginning, he is going to bring about in the end, from Genesis to Revelation. What about a Christian's personal pain and suffering? Well, it's how we grow, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. It's through all that pain and suffering that we finally grow up. Through prayer, study, and endurance, we build spiritual stamina and learn how to break through the pain barrier. 
we reach out to our God and Father and follow closely in the footsteps of our King and Brother, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 21-25. Excellent points here, Miranda. One of the problems for me when I go through suffering is that there are so many different kinds. I figure out how to deal with one, and then I face another. Then there are other kinds of pain, like, for example, the grief of losing a loved one, that just never gets any easier. Even so, just knowing that God is with me in my adversity and confusion and anguish really helps. I get the impression from your comments that looking over your life, there are probably quite a few hardships you faced that you wouldn't want to erase from your life since they make you who you are and produce the kind of endurance you have now. If you'd like to add your voice to the mix, visit restitutio.org and go to the podcast section and find Offscript episode 19 to leave a comment. If you found this episode helpful, please share it on social media. If you haven't already, like Restitutio on Facebook, which you can find at facebook.com slash restitutiosf, or follow us on Twitter at restitutiosf, and this will keep you updated about new content. In addition, if you'd like to get my free ebook, Habits of a Disciple, which is a kind of short, practical guide for Christian living, go to restitutio.org and subscribe to email. Stay tuned next week for a Christmas special where Rose will reveal a secret you won't want to miss. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.